All right, now let's get to uh, the message from God's Word today, Matthew chapter 23. If you'll stand in honor of God's Word, Matthew and chapter number 23. Uh, tonight, uh, we are going to get back into our series in 1 Samuel. It has been a long time since we've been in 1 Samuel. And the theme of that series is when a nation needs revival. We haven't, we haven't paused that series because our nation experienced revival. We don't need that series anymore. That certainly wasn't uh, the cause of our pause. We just had a lot of other things going on on Sunday nights. But I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Uh, Saul wasn't hearing from God. And so he went to the witch of Endor. And the Bible takes a strong position against the occult um, and so we're going to look a little bit at that, but, but really more so at the underlying causes that led him to a really dark place in his life. In fact, what we're going to do is a little bit of a contrast between David who came to a really dark place in his life and Saul who came to a really dark place in his life. Because every one of us are going to be in a dark spot at one time or another. The main issue is how do you respond to it? I hope it's preventative. You know, that God would use it to prevent us from heading down that dark road. But I'm thankful that even if you do, God is there for you. So, but now uh, let's turn our attention to Matthew. Matthew 23. I'd like to begin in verse 1. We're not going to read all the verses leading up to our text. But just to get the context here a little bit, we started really a three-part series as it stands right now in this chapter. It might turn into four. Um, it's got good, strong possibility of doing that. So we're looking at Matthew 23, verse 1. It says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. Now that's important for us to catch that. He's teaching them. So could I say this morning, he's teaching us since he's preserved his word for us and we're his disciples or endeavoring to be. So he spake to the multitudes, um, multitude, and he spake to his disciples, saying, The scribes, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be what? Seen of men. They wanted the applause of people. And so we're looking at that pharisaical spirit, that judgmental spirit, but it's even judgmental because they wanted praise. They were glory hogs. Right. There's only one that ought to receive glory. Drop down to verse number 13. So after teaching his disciples, and we're we will review more of this as we get into it. But then, evidently, some of the Pharisees and scribes were within earshot of him. So he turned attention right to them. And he just reared back and preached. Verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, Jesus didn't really run a seeker-sensitive ministry, did he? <laughs> Just thought about that. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses and for pre a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. Uh, and, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple, that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that's upon the altar, he's guilty. That's what they would say. You fools and blind. For whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. You fall in his train of thought. Whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. So obviously he's dealing with some of the particulars of their day, calling them out on it. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted, omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. The Lord's not against tithing, but not to leave the other undone. See, you blind guides would strain at a net and swallow a camel. <laughs> that is humorous. Strain at a net and swallow a camel. That's, uh, that's going to be our text here this morning. Uh, we'll come back to verse 25 because he's not done. And it's felt like we had enough to consider right there. But he goes on because eight times he says, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. But remember, he said that within the presence of his disciples and the multitude. Because we have the same propensity. We're made of the same stuff. And it's in us to want power and prestige and recognition and re reputation. And sometimes we have an outward facade. So this is part two. Part one, the, the title is this. Behind the mask of religion. Behind the mask of religion. Part one was... Um, the dark side of trying to please God without God. The dark side of trying to please God without God. Part two is this, stop performing on the stage of modern Christianity. Stop performing on the stage of modern Christianity. I'll go ahead and give you part three. You can't judge a Pharisee by his cover. You can't judge a Pharisee by his cover. We'll pick that up next time. May God bless the reading of his word. Now let's consider this uh, very pointed, very pointed, but very um, needful passage. One man even said, this is contemporary. 
deals with our day and time. And then he said this, and it hurts to the bone. It gets close to the bone. I mean, it, it gets right down to it. Yes, it does. <clears throat> if you have kids or grandkids, or if you ever were a kid, you uh, probably spent some time dressing up, playing a part, right? Pretending. Uh, our boys had a whole bucket, you know, that had cowboy stuff in it, pirate stuff, and firefighter and police officer, and they'd, they'd dress up and pretend. I mean, it, and, uh, and that's, that's cute. I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I mean, really, actually, I'd dress up with them, and we'd be Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett, you know, and have the long rifle and the coonskin hat. Had plenty of those in Kentucky. So anyways, but uh, yeah, they'd dress up and play the part. And little girls, uh, they may not play as many parts or roles, but they might dress up like a teacher or a nurse or probably most often as a princess. Never forget going to a home, making a visit, and the little girl was all dressed up as a little princess and invited me to be a part of her tea party. And there I was, I sat as a pastor in a little chair and held my pinky up, right? Drinking the tea, had no idea how to, how well, is that right, Angie? <laughs> yeah, thank you, okay. Um, and and uh, my soul, I was out of my element in a hurry because we have all three boys. So anyways, but she was pretending and I was going right along. Well, that, that's cute. That's cute. It's not cute. Now it's about to get real serious right here. You felt it, right? It's not cute. It's not cute when people pretend to be other than they really are. And that's why Jesus is calling them out calling us out, cautioning us. Hopefully this would be preventative, but if it's corrective, then let it be because we need it. The word hypocrite used eight, what, eight times here in our text, if I've counted right. Hypocrite is basically a word that's brought from that original language and just right into our English language. So uh, it's transliterated, just brought right in. It, it comes from the Greek world. It comes from the ancient Greek drama. So when they were, were um, having a Greek drama, then people would come out on the stage and they would wear a mask or hold a mask. You've seen it. You know, they're wearing a mask. They're playing one character. Then they maybe go backstage and they come out as a different character. I mean, we still have the same thing uh, going on today. Uh, in fact, a lot of it's called wrestling. My, I have a brother, <laughs> I'm going to disappoint some of you right here, right? Like, no, wrestling's real. <laughs> uh, anyways, but... Uh, <laughs> I have a brother-in-law that wrestled, and, and so when he was a good guy, he didn't wear a mask. When he was a bad guy, he wore a mask, and, and they would plan out what moves they were going to do and everything he told me. It just disappointed my heart as a kid. I mean, I was all into it. So anyways, but, but uh, they wore a mask, and, and so it's play acting. So the hypocritos is the Greek word, and so hypocrite is our English word, and it means a play actor, someone pretending to be other than they are. Sadly, dramas are being performed in churches and in families on the stage of modern America, modern Christianity, or maybe I could even say modern churchanity, just playing church. The Pharisees and scribes, they serve to gain a reputation, not really to honor God. This idea here of hypocrite means it's someone who's playing the part of a godly person, but they're not really a 
godly person. Here's the problem. There is a gap between the claim and the real behavior. We'll run that by you one more time. There's a gap between what they claim and who they really are. And so every one of us here tonight, today, really need to take heed to this and to make sure that there's not some gap between who we are and who we portray ourselves to be. Every one of us are, are prone to hypocrisy. There's, I mean, there's hypocrisy in every one of us. Probably this morning you practiced some hypocrisy as you came in the door. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not making light of that, but probably every one of us did. Maybe you've had a stressful week, maybe even, maybe even had a fight on the way to church, and then somebody asked you, how are you doing? And you said, man, I'm doing great. I understand why we do that. I, I, understand, uh, I understand that that goes on. And I, I understand that there's a ditch on the other side of the road where you can be way too transparent. Right? But our Lord here is recognizing that, that we need this warning. And here's basically as to why he deserves and we ought to be, for the sake of others, genuine, authentic, such that who you are on Sunday is really a reflection of who you are on Monday or who you are on Monday is a reflection of who you are on Sunday or who you are on a Friday night ought not to be different than who you are in Sunday school, given a prayer request. Um, so we, I think, need this. We looked at it last time and We've seen that Jesus has had a round of confrontations with these individuals. And by the way, I mean, he, it wasn't like he didn't love the Pharisees. He did. In fact, he saved one called Nicodemus. And he saved one called Joseph of Arimathea. And later on, he's going to save a Pharisee. In fact, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, I mean, a, a man who had the pedigree, a man that was very zealous in the Pharisee uh, sect of the Judaism, a man named Saul who would become Paul. So God can save a Pharisee. They just can't save themselves. They got to recognize that. And so anyways, they were self-righteous and, and in their self-righteousness, they were resistant to true righteousness. Now that's a caution for every one of us because God's going to deal with you about something in, in the course of your life, in the, in the daily time that you have with him and the, in the weekly times when we assemble together, God's going to deal with you about something and we can bow up in self-righteousness and be resistant towards God. But listen, you know what God's trying to do for all of us. He's trying to help us to be genuinely, authentically right with him and thus right with others. So let's not bow up in self righteousness. The, the scribes, uh, I'm going to make fast order of this review here. So please uh, buckle in and, and hang on and catch every bit of this because it'll help, of, uh, help us understand what's going on. The scribes and Pharisees were upset with Jesus because, because he was in the temple area and the people were praising him and they were basically, they were losing, they were losing credibility with the people. And so they tried to make him look bad by tripping him up in his words. But when you try to trip up God in his words, you're going to look bad. Every single time. That's exactly what happened. Instead of looking bad, he stood out for his wisdom and the authority. And the, and the people thought, no man ever spake like this man Jesus spoke. And, and so, but the scribes were the professional theologians of the day. And, and if anybody knew the book, then the scribes knew the book. And so we saw that last time. The Pharisees, they were, they were the separatists of the day. They, the word Pharisee literally does mean the separated one, which by the way, 
doesn't mean that God's against separation. In fact, he says, come out from among them and be ye separate. So we have to live separate from the ungodliness of the world. But let's not get proud of our separation to the point where we never reach and touch lives and people. And we got to understand that people struggle with, with things and we struggle with things, but they were, the, they were the guardians of the law and thus they built a fence around the law, they say, as, as the oral tradition. And, and so they added to the word of God and they set up rules and, and so they were separated from the Gentiles and they were separated from Jews that did not practice the law and they were proud and they were self-righteous and they took Moses' seat. I mean, they were the authorities as self-appointed authorities of what the law really meant. And, and so they said many things about the law. Oh, my soul, did they ever say many things about the law? And in fact, Jesus was not against what they said about, he was not against the law. Let me be careful in my statements here. He was not against the law. In fact, he says, do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do because they say and then they do not. It's hypocritical. Don't ask me to say that again. I'm not sure if I got it right the first time. But anyways, here they are emphasizing so many things about, about uh, the law. And, and yet they were, they were adding to it. And they had this religious facade. And they were putting burdens on people that they themselves were not even able to carry. You know why? Because they themselves were not born again. And you can't please God in the flesh. But they were trying to please God in the flesh. And that, dear friend, is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, you must be born again. You got to be born from above. And Nicodemus didn't understand all that. And maybe today you don't understand all that. But listen, I'm just here to tell you, being religious will not save you because if being religious would save a person, Nicodemus would have been saved by himself, but he could not. They lived to be admired by people and thus they lived under the guise of serving God. But really what they were trying to do is they were trying to look important by how they dressed. They tried to look important by where they sat. They tried to look important by how people greeted them. Rabbi, master, teacher, father. Jesus said, stop it. Okay, now I'll paraphrase. It's a major paraphrase right there, mind you. But he basically said this, stop going by all the titles. If you're saved, you're a brother. And that's it. And so we don't go by the titles around here. Now we try to be respectful and such, you know, pastor, preacher, brother, so-and-so. Uh, some of the, some like to tease Angie that she likes to go by Reverend Mother, but that's not the case. All right, now don't y'all start that or I'll be in big trouble, okay? So anyways, Jesus said, listen, don't, I've called you to, and saved you, listen to this, to be servants not religious celebrities. That's it. Servants. And what an honor to be his servant. What an honor to be his servant. So in the midst of instructing them in all that, then evidently some of the Pharisees at least stuck around and boy, they got an earful. And so seeing them, he said, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. In fact, later on, he's going to call them vipers. Well, that's how you warm up to a Sunday morning crowd, right? No, he, he, was, he was trying to actually help them. But he says, whoa, whoa, alas, whoa. By the way, he did not take joy in their judgment. 
He was not glad that they were going to get damnation. By the way, if you don't believe that Jesus believed in hell, then just read what he said right here. Because several times he's referencing a literal place called hell and separation from God. So Jesus most certainly did. And, and yet he did emphasize God's love, no doubt about that. But, but 108 times the word woe, W-O-E, shows up in our Bibles in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The book that it shows up in the most is the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah stood in that day and time, he said, Woe unto you, you're so religious, and yet you're so far from God. Woe unto you. I, I sometimes fear sitting here that, that we're just kind of going through the motions and, and we, we just, we try to mix things up a little bit, keep it fresh. I, I appreciate the effort Brother Aaron puts into that. And I try to put effort into preaching and keep it fresh and all those things because we, by the way, we don't need to get novel to try to get people's attention and entertain people. No, we just need to go by what the old book says and, and that timeless book, I should say, and keep that fresh and keep that in front of us and, and us be fresh about it because the problem's not with God, the problem's with us. And so anyways, uh, but we can go through the motions just like they did in the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah and others that said, woe be unto you. But Jesus echoed that woe in his day and time as they too were, were just going through the motions. But it's a, it's a woe of regret and compassion. Woe unto you. He was saddened by the fact of where they were headed. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God, God, does, not, God does not want you to go to hell. It's a false doctrine to say that, that God specifically designed some to go to hell. That's not right, friend. He designed you for fellowship. He sent his son to die in your place for your sins that you might be saved. He doesn't take delight in, in punishing the wicked. No, no, he takes joy and delight in saving people that would repent and turn to him. He would save them from that terrible future that they're facing. But he referred to them in this text as blind guides. They could not see for themselves. How could they lead others? He called them fools, not disrespectfully, but fools in the true sense of the word that they had knowledge that they were not using. He pronounced judgment upon them. I'd like for us to work back through verses 13 and following and and just understand what he's saying because um, it relates to us here today. Because of their hypocrisy, they were keeping people from going to heaven. They themselves were not going to the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, heaven. And they were blocking other people from going. He says, woe unto you, scribes, you who know the law. In fact, in essence, he's saying you should have recognized you should have recognized that I'm Messiah. You should recognize that you're a sinner of all people that ought to know this, but woe unto you. You know these things and yet you're not acting on them. Pharisees, you're so separated, but yet you don't, you're not separated unto God. You're separated to yourself and your own fame and glory and prestige. Woe unto you, hypocrites. Because as you see in verse 13, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, neither go ye in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are, that are entering to go in. In other words, he's, he's basically saying this. There were people that were even listening to what Jesus was saying at that day and time at, up in Galilee and also in Judea. They so respected, so reverenced the, the scribes and the Pharisees. And if the scribes and Pharisees were discrediting Jesus, then at a duty 
And also out of respect for those Pharisees, they evidently came to a conclusion, well, the Pharisees must be right and Jesus must be wrong. And sadly today, there are people in hell because they listen to the religious leaders. Did you hear me? That's sobering, isn't it? That's sobering. That's sobering that, that those who are supposed to be helping people spiritually would turn out to be their worst enemies. You say, well, I would never do that. Well, listen, if, if, you're, if you're presenting yourself one way as being a Christian and living another, and someone at work says, I thought you were a Christian, you're a stumbling block. And if that person never gets saved, then listen, you, you have responsibility there in the sense that you have been hypocritical about your Christian life and you're going to church and yet they don't even know that you're going to church because the way that you're talking at work. And Jesus is, is dealing with them and because they've misled people. The Bible says that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ should shine unto them. There are people that are very sincere, but lost. In world religions, in Islam, in Buddhism, and in other forms of world religions, there are people today that are meeting in, 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 um, in, in Jehovah's Witnesses halls and, and other places, and they're very sincere and they're very devout. There are people in various religious groups from, from um, Methodists to Baptists to Episcopalians to Roman Catholics to, to uh, Mennonites and Amish and Church of God and, and many others that, that think somehow that their good works are going to get them to heaven. And then there are non-religious people and intellectual people that say, none of this really matters because we were just a product of evolution and there's really no God. And all these individuals that I've just listed are on their way to hell unless they believe the gospel. By keeping their followers in tradition, they, they point, they... they they keep them from hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. Brother Switzer's here today and, and, and uh, the Switzer's a minister in South Africa. And so many times we've talked about this, that the, the, the people in South Africa and other places like South Africa, in fact, America is really much the same. They've heard a diluted gospel. Works mixed in. And religious leaders are keeping people from hearing the true presentation of the gospel. And sadly, people will go and live and die, go many years through a Lutheran church or even a Baptist church. I'm not trying to pick on any other group because a person could be a Baptist on a Baptist role and yet not be saved because your salvation is not in your church membership. It's only in Jesus Christ. So you could be a good Baptist, but on your way to hell. If in any wise you're trusting good works, but sadly many, I think even sincerely, attend ritualistic services and say countless prayers and have been baptized as an infant and have given hundreds and even thousands of dollars to build mega cathedrals and other things, and yet they'll die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. And sadly, others who are supposed to be guiding them to the way of Jesus are entertaining them in places of worship and they're rocking out and, and giving them a watered down version of the gospel, if the gospel at all, and, and or if it's even emphasized. And here's what's happening. They go to a Christless eternity entertained, but lost. 
Others hold, hold them in false doctrine, adding requirements to salvation and, and, and saying that their group, their group exclusive, exclusively is the means by which you can be right with God, but really it's only in Jesus Christ. Amen. Then I think about those that are irreligious, that fail to have their kids in church, Maybe even some that maybe got hurt in church and now they're out of church. Would you listen to this here just a minute? Because this affects more than just you. It affects your, it affects your kids and grandkids. And there may be some that even say, well, there's just a bunch of hypocrites down there and I'm not going back to church. Well, there's a bunch of hypocrites. There's a bunch of hypocrites at the restaurant, but you keep going there. There's a bunch of hypocrites at Walmart, but you keep going there. There's a bunch of hypocrites at, at, at the OU game, but you keep going there. Isn't that right? Some of you do. There's a bunch of hypocrites everywhere you go, so you can't let hypocrites keep you from going where you ought to go. But, but some have been burnt. Some have been hurt. And I understand that. I'm not trying to minimize their hurt. But listen, now their kids travel to ball games and they, they're on the baseball team and they're on the softball team, but they're playing on Sundays and they spend the weekends at the lake and they give them everything money can buy, but they don't tell them about Jesus. And they'll spend their whole life entertained and, and at the lake, but they'll spend eternity in hell. Pronounce judgment on those that stood in the way of others being saved. I, I just want to ask you here before we move on, is there any way you're living or anything you're doing that's keeping somebody from being saved? He pronounced judgment upon them because they took advantage of others for their own gain. Verse number 14, they took advantage of widows. It was sad to me is that there's widows right now. They're sending their money in through some scheme. Hard-earned money. Some flashy preacher saying, send in uh, $68.18. That'll be your seed money. Psalm 68, 18, if I got the reference right, then you, you give and God will bless you. And they'll, they'll say things like that. And some dear widow lady will give of her, of her check that comes in once a month, nearly just all that she has. And, and listen, there's a lot of religious phonies out there taking advantage, charlatans, charlatans, hypocrites, taking advantages, taking advantage of widows. And, and then Jesus said, you pray long prayers to be appreciated by others. By the way, nothing wrong with public prayers. Nothing wrong with long prayers, as long as they are sincere. There's a gentleman at Grace Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, when I was growing up, named H.T. Ashby. He was, a, he was a preacher, a pastor for many years, and then preached a lot of revival meetings. And I mean, I'm just here to tell you he had a sincere walk with God. But we knew when Brother Carson called on Brother Ashby to pray, we were not getting out any time soon. <laughs> I kid you not, five to 10 minutes, the gentleman would pray. Had a deep, booming voice, but I, I'm, I don't, I can't, I, maybe I can't convince you of this, but every one of us knew he's not doing that for show. He's doing that because that's how he prays. And it's wrong. It's wrong to pray pretending to talk to God when really you're talking to people trying to get their adoration. It's wrong. Uh, John Stott said, it's not prayer they love, nor God they are supposed to be praying to that they love. It's themselves that they love. It's not right to use God to make yourself look good. 
One man said, sin will follow us even to the very presence of God. And no sin is more powerful, powerful or destructive than pride. In those moments when we could come before the Lord in worship and purity of heart, we may be tempted to worship ourselves. Brother Sam, in his notes on, in PSD, personal spiritual development, he cautioned us and, and the classes that he taught about, about pretending, religious pretension, and he said about prayers and, and how that they would pray to get the adoration of people. It's wrong to pretend commune with the God of heaven when really your only interest is to impress the hearers with your prayer ability. Don't pretend to talk to God when really your desire is to be heard of men. If you can express yourself in prayer with another person or in a group or in public, but lack expression when you're alone, something must be wrong with your expression of prayer. In other words, we shouldn't pray this way, kind of glancing to the left and right, wondering, wonder how they think about that prayer. Man, that was a good one. That was a good one right there. Man, that was good praying. Jesus said that's wrong. It's wrong to use God pretending to give him praise, pretending to call upon him to make yourself look good. Now, I'm not saying anybody's here doing this. We had a gentleman come and pray here just a moment ago and thank, a moment ago and thank God for the Sunday school hour and all those things. And I believe Brother Matt was being very sincere. Hey, we need people to pray publicly. Jesus prayed publicly. Elijah prayed publicly. Others prayed publicly. But let's not pray publicly to present yourself. Totally wrong. I catch myself every now and then. I'm just being, I'm trying to, is this helping anybody here? I know you're quiet. Maybe it's because you're thinking and I know this isn't just like a shouted out kind of message, but I think we need it because we're prone to this. And, and I catch myself sometimes praying and I, sometimes we're there and I catch myself preaching in my prayer. I'm like, wait a minute, am I preaching to God? I don't need to preach to him. He knows. I need to pray to God and talk to God sincerely and not use my prayer to accomplish something else. Pray, talk to him but don't do it for show. He pronounced judgment on them because their efforts to gain others only brought condemnation. Verse 15, look at it if you would. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, one person to gain. Sometimes the Jews were um, zealous in reaching others. Sometimes they were not. But you think about Paul going all the way up to uh, Damascus to kill Christians, that's zealous. And you think about how they chased him all the way down to Berea and to Thessalonica, that's zealous. And so they do that. And so, but here's what happens. Some of those that become um, followers of them, they make, he said, you make them twofold the child of hell because they take your zeal to a whole nother level. He pronounced woe unto them. Verse 16 and through 22, I, I'm going to make uh, semi-quick work of this. As he says, um, he says, woe unto you because, you, let, me, let me summarize it, then I'll explain it. He says, because you make all these promises, but you're trying to find a way around them. You're trying to find all these loopholes. You make these promises to make yourself look good. But then you say, well, I didn't, I didn't swear by the gold of the temple. I just sweared by the temple. I didn't swear by the, am I, am I getting this right? I didn't swear by the gift on the altar. I just swore by the altar. I didn't swear by God. I didn't say, by God, I'll do this. I just swore by, by the temple. And, and what he's saying is, it's like they were saying things with their fingers crossed. And they're trying to find loopholes. 
And Jesus says, that is so hypocritical and that is so blind. You're not even seeing this clearly because it, which is greater, the temple or the gold of the temple? What's well, the temple that sanctifies the gold? So he breaks their argument down and, and, and I know this is foreign to us and we don't maybe understand all that was going on then and there, but I think we understand this. Sometimes we can make promises to make ourselves look better and never really follow through on them. You know what God deserves? Genuine biblical Christianity that you would be a person of your word. And I, I got to where, as even with our kids, I would say things like this. If the circumstances are right, we will do that. Because I didn't want to promise them something and then not come through on it because I want to be a man of my word. But there are sometimes circumstances. Come on, parents, can I get some help right there? There are circumstances that come up and they keep you from doing what you said you would do. But listen, let's not make empty promises. Let's not make promises to make ourselves look good. When it comes time maybe to give to an offering or something, maybe even we're raising funds for a church planner from the floor. Don't stand up and say, yeah, I'll give $500 and then never give it. Just to make yourself look good. I'm not saying anybody did that, but I'm just simply saying there's a way that you and I could be hypocritical about it and go into ministry, go into things to try to get accolades and say, oh man, that's great. And Nice and Sapphire did it, didn't they? Then he pronounced woe upon them about tithing. He didn't say stop tithing. He said, woe unto you that tithe down to the minute leaves from your garden. Anise, cumin, um, mint, uh, these spices. He says, you, which, he's not condemning that. He's, in fact, I mean, they were particular about tithing. By the way, tithing preceded the law. It's in Genesis how Abraham paid tithes to, to Melchizedek. I mean, that, that's there. That's pre-law. So people that tell you you shouldn't give a tenth. Is everybody listening to this right here? People that tell you that God doesn't want us to give a tenth of our income, listen, don't, don't listen to that. A tenth of your income is a good starting place. In fact, I think if we're going to practice New Testament, uh, New, New Testament Christianity, um, I, would, I would agree with somebody that says, well, you don't have to tithe. I'd say, yeah, that's right. You need to give more than that. They might say, well, I'll just tithe. Jesus wasn't against tithing, but here's what he was so against. He was against them being so meticulous about very, not that tithing is a small matter, but I mean to tithe on the leaves from your garden. That's pretty minute. It's not even that he's saying that God doesn't expect that, but he's saying this, you're so meticulous about those, those minute matters and yet some of them were caught up in adultery. And yet, only, is everybody getting this right here? On the outside, they're giving their tithe. Oh, oh, they're careful about tithing, but they may also be involved in extortion and taking money that doesn't belong to them. And they might even be involved in gossip. And they may be involved in some of the weightier matters of the law. Did you see what he said? I, he didn't say, stop doing that. No, he said, these ought you to have done. Do that tithe, give, but don't be a phony about it. Amen. Don't think that you're going to somehow gain favor with God just because you look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, give a certain amount. No, that uh, does not cover up for the great 
big sin that you're involved in. You can't soothe your conscience by church attendance. You can't soothe your conscience by tithing. You can't soothe your conscience by faith promise giving. You can't soothe your conscience by, by working a bus route if you're involved in pornography. Listen, be who you really are. Just making sense? And then he ends our section with this. He says, you strain at a net, but you swallow a camel. And you say, now what does that mean? Well, probably just exactly what you think it means. You strain at a net, and yet you somehow swallow a camel. Now, it's hyperbole. A gnat is unclean. Amen and amen. I'm about to preach a camp down in Georgia, and, and uh, I think of about it as the gnat camp. I mean, am I right, Brother Andrew? You've been there. It's just you walk outside, and it's, uh, it's there in uh, um, Valdosta, Georgia area, and you walk outside, and there's all these gnats. Just Where's Brother Tim at? He knows what I'm talking about too, yes. Am I right about this? I mean, I don't know what they are, some little bugs, but they're all over. And I remember what it was like also is I helped my grandparents, you know, with, with um, cutting up apples or breaking beans out on the porch. You got all these little bugs flying around and stuff and, and they had grapes and so they'd make grape juice. Well, sometimes, sometimes a, 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 a gnat or a little bug would be flying around and get in the grape juice, get a little drink, but he got too much. And <laughs> I don't want to drink them. I don't want to drink them. So they would literally strain out the gnats. They would use a filter of some sort and they would pour that juice or that, that filter cloth or whatever and get, keep the gnats out because they're unclean. They're in Leviticus. They should have died in the flood, every one of them. Amen. Amen. Along with the mosquitoes and a lot of other things, they should have all died, you know. But anyways, uh, the gnats, they strain out a gnat. They keep that out. They keep that unclean out. And yet they swallow a camel. A camel is listed in Leviticus also as an unclean animal. If you've ever been around one, you understand. Jesus is saying, you're so meticulous about the way that you dress. You're so meticulous about the Sabbath. And you're so meticulous about those things. And he's not necessarily even saying that they should not be. But the problem is, is, as we've already mentioned, these two are really connected together. They're straining out these little things that would cause impurity, and yet they're involved in gross sin, fornication, and adultery, and thievery. They criticize Jesus. Here's a good illustration of it. They criticize Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. They strained a gnat right there. You healed a man on the Sabbath day. Don't you know that's work? While we're in Israel on the Sabbath day, they had an elevator devoted for the Jews that stopped at every floor so that you would not have to touch and push a button because that would be work on the Sabbath. So they get on an elevator, ding, 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 ding. I'm sure some Jews are thinking, this is dumb. <laughs> I'm taking the Gentile elevator. That's it. <laughs> they strain it in that. They strain it in that. They strain it in that. They said, you healed on the Sabbath day. And yet they murdered Jesus using the Roman authorities in a kangaroo court and had to hasten things up so they wouldn't violate their Sabbath day. They strained it and yet they committed murder. Do you see it? 
And, and how does that look in our day and time? I'm still doing a lot of teaching, not a lot of application just yet. We're building up to it. It might come next week. It might come the next week after that. But I, I'll tell you one way that that happens sometimes. There can be people that are so strict on a dress code unless they're in front of their computer screen. You say, that didn't happen. It does happen. Because there's Baptists that have high dress codes and yet secretly looking at pornography or being involved sexually. They're straining the net. You shouldn't dress that way. All the while, click, 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 click. Tons of immodesty. Straining the net, swallowing a camel. It's hypocrisy. And it's hurt more than one. It's devastating. So stop performing on the stage of modern Christianity and let's just get real with God. And if you're not saved, you need to be saved today because you cannot do this Christian life in the power of your flesh. You need to be born from above. You need to be born again. The Lord does not deserve, neither should we be, followers who act one way in church, proper, dressed up, clean, and tidy, but another way the rest of the week. Amen. He doesn't deserve that. I've got some questions for you, then we're done. In what way or ways are you play acting or pretending? I, I know what it's like now. I know what it's like in the past. Being a kid growing up in church, just kind of going through it. Singing victory in Jesus in Sunday school and church, but listening to Garth Brooks the rest of the week and having friends in low places. That's hypocrisy. It's hypocritical. In what way or ways are you pretending? Is there a gap between your claim and your behavior? Number three, are you helping or hurting someone spiritually? Are you helping or hurting? The way you can help is you try to understand where they're coming from, but then share with them what God's Word says. And the Word and the application of it may offend somebody. But I'll tell you what's more offensive. When you say one thing, but do another. Your kids see you act one way in church, but another way at home. That does damage. Are you helping or hurting? Because I think people want to come to Christ but sometimes they're turned off by Christians. I wish I could go into what I learned this week at the MRI from Brother Wayne Hardy or been reminded of and really learned. On one hand, you've got the pharisaical spirit that's not trying to be understanding and blasting everybody and condemning everybody. Not even trying to understand where people come from. On the other side, you've got liberal-mindedness that understands where people are coming from and thus adjusts God's standards to meet and accommodate people where they are, rather than being understanding and saying, here's what God says, and I know it's tough, but this is what we need to do. That's the biblical mindset we need to have. 
Do you wear a mask on Sunday to make yourself look good? I'll conclude with this statement. The reality of hell and the splendor of heaven and the righteousness that God expects demands that we give attention to this passage and make application of it. Because heaven and hell await the verdict. And you won't get to heaven on your own righteousness. You've got to have His. And then once He's given you His righteousness, that ought to be lived out every day in our lives. And we're going to fail. We're going to fail sometimes miserably. I mean, we're really going to blow it. Is that right? Thank God that He's forgiving and can help us. And a just man falls seven times and rises yet again. Get up. Get up. Somebody's waiting on you to do right and show them what Christ is about. Stop pretending. Get His help and get back on the narrow path. Father, thank You today. This, this is a confrontational passage in its very nature, in its tone, in its content in every way. And You meant it so. So help us, God, to respond. Let us not be resistant. Otherwise, we've missed the whole intent of why you spoke to the Pharisees like you did in the scribes. So help us, dear God, to be real and genuine, authentic believers. I do pray for someone here that does not know you as Savior, that they would indeed understand what it means to be saved. I, I know, Lord, they maybe need some more explanation. So help them to respond here as we have the invitation. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.